0: You know, that's a hard thing in life to to get to, and I would say you can't get there on your own where you realize this life is not about you. Uh, it takes the Lord doing a work in your heart. Uh, worship's about Him, uh, and not only what we do here on Sunday morning should be about the Lord, but also what we, uh, how we live our lives should be about the Lord. Um, we're going to start... A series through a book of the Bible, uh, the book of Malachi. Um, and if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd like for you to follow along. We're going to spend the next five weeks doing something that I don't know if many of you have done before. We're going to walk verse by verse through an entire book of the Bible, uh, probably one that you're not familiar with uh, that much. And so uh, I hope that you enjoy our time through the Bible, but. Uh, We're going to look at the book of Malachi. Now, finding the book of Malachi is the easiest small Old Testament book to find. You go to Matthew and turn one page back. Uh, It's the last book of the Old Testament, so uh, I encourage you to follow along. We're going to ask God to bless our time. I I want us to pray together, okay? Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help me to preach your word well today. I pray that you would help us to receive it well. I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would show up in this place and would would show us, Lord, how much you love us and how much you are worthy of all of our worship. God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, just give us insight right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, routines are a good thing. I, I think we know that, that, that routines in life are healthy. Early on in life, we, we try to teach Healthy routines. We teach kids to brush their teeth, and and we encourage them to eat their peas and say their prayers because we know these are good things that they'll learn them early in their life. Uh, you know, when they get a little bit older uh, in their middle school middle school age, especially the boys, we're trying to get them to to comb their hair and put on deodorant. And then they get to high school age, and we want them to learn good study habits and and to be uh, uh, not a procrastinator, but someone who really learns to get ahead in life. And we, even as adults, we want to learn the routine of a good work ethic, and, and we want to learn uh, about being faithful to our commitments. Uh, life routines are good. Uh, I, I don't want to knock that, and I want to make sure you hear this today. Life routines are really, really good. And deep down, I think we like them. We say that we want adventure and excitement. And, and all of us have a little bit of that in us. We want that adventure and excitement. And so, you know, we, we want to get away or go on an adventure. But after a week at the beach, you know, almost all of us, you know, I think almost all of us are ready to, man, I'd like to get back to my own bed or get some of mama's cooking. Or, or and there's some, some of us who would even say, I'm, I'm re- kind of ready to go back to work. You ever been there? You know, because routines are, 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 in life are good. But what I want to think about today is that routines can be dangerous. Because you can go through the motions to the point that you become dissatisfied even with good things. You can go through the motions at work. At, at work. You punch the clock, you watch the clock, <laughs> you punch out, you dread punching in the next morning. Uh, you can go through the motions in a team sport, you know, where, where, where you practice and practice and practice, but you don't see the value in it, and after a while it's just this practice, which is good and healthy. You just don't give your heart to it. Uh, you can go through the motions in your marriage. A lot of people do this. You know, they just wake up and they kind of live together and coexist more than live in love. Going through the motions can happen in faith as well. And when it comes to faith, it is so, so easy to get in this routine of going through the motions. You see, there are are, are healthy routines that I believe every Christian should have in their life. Every Christian should read their Bible. That's healthy. Every Christian should go to church. That's, that's good. Every Christian should spend time praying, but have you ever noticed how we can go to church, and after a few months or a few years of going to church, you start asking yourself, why do I do this? You know, why do I get up? Why do I give my day off? Why do I... Or you can read the Bible, and, and a lot of times you read the Bible because the preacher made you feel guilty more than because you wanted to read the Bible, or even even our faith in God becomes more of a ritual than a life-changing relationship. And instead of being in love with God, before long we're just coexisting with God. And it's dangerous to our spiritual health to get in this routine, ritual, dull uh, type of experience with God. And that's what's happening to the people of Israel in the book of Malachi. They're going through the motions. And so for the next few weeks... We're going to talk about how can you move from a person who's going through the motions with God to a person who is passionately in love with God. Now, this book, the last book in the Old Testament, concludes a story that's been going on through the first part of the Bible, that God has chosen this special people, and he's pouring his love out on them. And even though he's loved them, they just kind of always fade back to this have-to type of religion. Um, But before we kind of get into this first message, let me set the background for the whole book. We won't do this every week, but you need to know what is going on before you can read the book of Malachi. Uh, The nation of Israel is facing hardship. They are. They're often facing hardship. But they're better off than they have been. Uh, Because of their sin, God let the people of Israel go once again into captivity. This time it wasn't Egypt, but it was Babylon. And they had been there uh, for several years, and through a miraculous series of events, God raises up this leader who says, why are we keeping this free labor? Man, we ought to send them back to their homeland, and we ought to pay for their travels. And we ought to rebuild their cities, and we ought to reinstitute their worship, and we ought to even make walls for their cities to make them healthy. So things are pretty good. And now they're back in their land. They're no longer in captivity. They're, for the most part, they're self-governing, and they're able to worship God any way that they want to. Uh, they, they had some economic struggles that we'll see later on. They had some high taxes, and, and inflation was kind of out of control at this period in Israel's life. Uh, but, but still, they were in their homeland, and they were free, and they're doing okay. It's in this time that Malachi was called to be a prophet. Now, truth is, we know almost nothing about Malachi the person. Very, very little about him. But we can tell that he lived during a period uh, of time when Nehemiah and Ezra were also ministering to the people of Israel. So if you read Nehemiah and Ezra, which are not close to the book of Malachi... Those three books kind of go together uh, in the Old Testament. Now, as we read, there's a couple of things that you'll notice. Most of the book of Malachi is God speaking directly uh, through the prophet. Thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The Lord declares. You're going to see that over and over and over as we read the book of Malachi. A second thing you'll notice is that Malachi is characterized by God asking and answering a series of questions. Now, I hate to say this, but when you read Malachi, it sounds like an old married couple arguing. You know, I mean, it does. You can just almost hear Ethel and uh, Elmer sitting across the table from one another, kind of giving it to one another in the book of Malachi. But that's kind of how the book of Malachi reads. There are six questions in the book of Malachi and six arguments that kind of take place. And that gives the structure to the book, and we see one of them almost immediately in Malachi 1, verse 1. (coughs) It says, An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And then he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, you only hear people say that. I have loved you if on the other side of the table somebody's saying, You don't love me anymore. That's the only time anybody ever says that. You know, I, I, I've loved you. I have loved you. Why are you questioning me? I have loved you. And yet, they were questioning God. Uh, notice what the rest of the verse says. But, but you ask. God says, I've loved you. But you ask me, how have you loved me? Can't you see that old man and old woman thing going on there? How, how have you loved me? Uh, the people are saying, if this is what love, a loving God is like, I'm not sure I want any of this. I know they were facing high interest rates, and we'll see that later in the book, and, 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 and high taxes and some financial hardships. But when I read this, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? They were slaves doing slave labor where they were made to do that which they didn't want to do, and now God has delivered them into freedom, and they're saying, you don't love me. God miraculously raises up a leader who says, I'll pay for your trip back. How have you loved me? That's kind of what's going on here. And truth be told... We get there sometimes, don't we? "Have you loved me, God? Where are you at, God? Why is this going on in my life, God? I thought, I thought you loved me. We, we get there a, lo, a lot of time, and, and I want to say this: what I found in my life is these questions are usually only asked by the people who have the most. Where's God? I've been to Africa and to Brazil, Africa and to one of the poorest places on the planet where the average income is less than a dollar a day in the nation. They are starving to death in many places of at Niger or Niger. Oppressive regimes... And here I am talking to a handful of believers who live in the midst of a Muslim country where they can't even proclaim the name of Jesus. They have to hide in their worship. Here we are in this type of country, and I never one time heard someone say, we don't think God loves us. I saw people crying over the greatness of God's love. I'm in Brazil, sitting in a woman's house. She had seven children in a home that was about the size of half of this stage where they cooked and they slept and they lived. I didn't walk in her door and she immediately starts saying, I don't believe that God loves me. Where is God in all of this? But in Kentucky Baptist churches, I hear these questions all the time. Why would God let this happen to me? Why, Why? if God loves me, am I going through this? How has God loved us? The next part of the verse, God responds to that question by giving them proof of his love. He says, wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. Now, I want to tell you, these are truthfully hard words. These are difficult, difficult words, Uh, and I, am I'm going to get to the hard part in a minute, but listen to what he says in verse three. He says, I turned his mountains, Esau's into a wasteland. I gave his inheritance to desert jackals. Now, when I read that the first time, when I was studying the book of Malachi, that kind of troubles me. That's like going to your parents and saying, I don't understand. How do y'all love me? And they say, well, I hate your brother. You know, I mean, that's kind of an odd way for God to tell you that he loves you. I mean, think about that. How how do you love us, God? Well, I hate Esau. Isn't that good enough? You know, I mean, that's an odd thing. And we think, what's going on here? And it's really hard to wrap our minds around. But let me clarify a couple of things for you. In uh, In the Old Testament, Abraham is, you know, Father Abraham has many sons. Well, he actually had one son of promise. He had Isaac. Isaac has a son named Esau and a son named Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Esau becomes Edom. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this tension between these two sons. God's chosen Israel and, and the nation of Edom. And God's people are often plundered. Israel is persecuted. Israel is attacked. Israel is is, is uh, uh, oppressed over and over and over. And what's odd is throughout the Old Testament, if you watch, Edom never gets it. Edom's almost always coming out smelling like a rose. And so, the people of Israel were like, hey, what gives God? You, you're letting Edom get away with murder, and we're your people, and you're, you're punishing us. How in the world could you let this happen? Now, Israel has is returned to the land, and at this particular time, Edom is getting it. <laughs> They've been oppressed now, and they are being crushed. In fact, they are crushed to become no more. And God says, How have I loved you? Well, look, Edom's been making fun of you every time you were punished, and now you are rewarded, and they're getting punished. And listen to what God says. Edom might say, we've been devastated, but we'll rebuild. We're better than those guys anyway. In the next verse, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and a people that the Lord has cursed. Now, I want to get to the part that troubles us. Because y'all know the part that troubles us. It's that verse we saw just a second ago. (laughs) Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. By the way, this is quoted in Romans chapter 9 in the New Testament, uh, word for word. And it's hard for us because we don't understand. The problem most of us have with this verse is the word hate. There's a lot of venom in hate. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I had parents who at least knew the words of Jesus where they knew you weren't supposed to hate anybody, and so my parents wouldn't let me say that about anybody. Don't you dare say you hate them. You know, I mean, they'd get on me about that whenever I did. And, and, and maybe a better way to understand this is if God had said, I rejected, you know, because uh, the relationship was broken. You get the same point, and it doesn't carry the baggage. But, but either way, I think we have to acknowledge something here. And here's the real hard part. It's not the word hate. It's the fact that God chose one and didn't choose the other. I mean, isn't it, I'm really in that where we get the hard part of this verse. I mean, that's hard for me. God, why don't you choose me and not choose them? And, and that's where we get. And I think we have to acknowledge when we come to a verse like this that there is an elective element in God's love. That, and that should wipe away arrogance. Listen, I want you to hear this. I'm gonna, it's going to get easier in just a second, but hear the hard part. We are sitting here today because of God's grace. It's not our goodness that we can come before the throne of God. It's not because we were smarter than other people that we got saved. It's not because we deserved it. Heaven knows none of us deserve God's grace. If we are saved, it is because God has drawn us to himself. The Bible says, "No man can come to the Father unless they're drawn by the Son." If we're saved, it is because Jesus has done a work in our heart. None of us deserve God's election. None of us deserve God's goodness. If we're saved, it's all of God. And God wants you to know that you are chosen, and you are special. Now, this is hard to wrap our brain about, because here's what happens. We don't focus on, Jacob, have I loved, because we say, duh, God loves everybody. We focus on that next part of the verse, don't we? Esau, have I hated, because that just doesn't jive in our brain. And what happens is, we run down this path of what ifs, and what abouts. Well, what about that person who's never heard over in Africa? Or what about that little baby? Or what about that person who is in a Muslim country? Or what about that? That's where our mind runs. What about them? What about them? What about them? We run down that path so much that we forget the what about us? God reveals election not to answer the what ifs because I just want to tell you I have no idea about all those questions I just mentioned. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I don't have that figured out. I don't know how all the pieces go together. I don't know about the what of ifs. I don't have to be because I'm not God. Right? You're not either. And if you think you've got it figured out, you're a moron. (laughs) Y'all use that word? I guess so. (laughs) We did in western Kentucky. You're dumber than you look because... We're not smart enough to figure out the universe. We weren't there when God spoke it into existence. We weren't there when he fashioned his plan. We weren't there when he said, this is how it's going to work. And for you to say, well, God, I don't understand this, so I don't like you anymore, is ludicrous. I don't get this. I don't understand it, but I do understand this. When I didn't deserve it, God picked me. When I... Failed miserably, God loved me. Election was not intended to answer the what ifs. It was intended to draw, drive us to our knees and make us fall on our face and say, Oh God, how beautiful you are that you would love me. And that is the context to where we're going to get. What's this have to do with worship? We are people who amen that God chose us when we didn't deserve it. We are people who say that God has given us a gift that we do not earn. Shouldn't that change how we show up? Shouldn't that change how we praise the Lord? Shouldn't that change how we live our life? Verse 6. Son honors his father and a servant his master and everybody says well, yeah That's just a universal principle. It's a general principle about life and that's how it's supposed to work But it's not working that way here. But if i'm a father, god says where's my honor? If i'm your father, why are you not honoring me? Listen to what he says in the next part of the verse says yahweh of hosts to you priests He starts with those of us who stand on the stage You want to know where the quickest place to get out of line with god is is when you get up front Because before long, it moves from honoring God to making sure you look good yourself. He says, you priest." And by the way, what I've found is the reason God often goes after leaders because what leaders do trickles down to everyone else. Leaders are treating God with contempt. They're despising Him. They're treating God like He's not great. They're devaluing Him. And listen to what they say. You ask, how have we despised your name? Here's that old couple thing going on again. Y'all are not treating me like great. Well, how have we not treated you with value? How have we defiled your name? Verse 7, he says, if I'm a, And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says Yahweh of hosts to you, priest, who despise my name? H- how have we done this? Now, to understand what comes next, you have to understand there's a big difference between the way they showed up in worship and the way that we show up in worship. When they came to worship, they brought animals to sacrifice. I don't understand this completely. Sounds weird to me a little bit. But it's what God chose in the Old Testament. Obviously, we, won't do, we don't do that because when Jesus came, he became a sacrifice once and for all, and there's no more need for that. And because he was the perfect sacrifice, it doesn't have to be done over and over. But until he came, God asked the people of Israel to do this. And they didn't do this every week, just at major festivals a few times a year, and they came and they sacrificed, but think about this: if you're a farmer, and God says I want you to come and sacrifice, any farmers in here? Any farmers? Gary ran out on me. <laughs> All right, we'll get him. <laughs> any any farmers uh, know that you know when you when you if you're going to give something away, you don't want to give away your breeding stock. But God says, when you come and worship me, I want your very best. You know, and, and a farmer might say, you know, yeah, I know God wants my best, but I had this one animal that got, kind of got stuck in the fence, and he's lame, and, and I believe it would be just as good for God to accept that. And God says, wait a minute, you, you come to me, next verse, you come to me and you present defiled food on my altar. Verse 7, they say, how have we defiled you? And listen to how God responds. He said, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible. Verse 8, it says, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice. Isn't this wrong? You don't give your best to the Lord. You give your worst. You don't give what is good. You give what's convenient. You don't give what is right. You give what you want. And then listen to what he says. I love what he says in this next verse. Uh, And when you present a lame or sick animal, is that not wrong? Next verse. Bring that to your governor. See how that goes for you. (laughs) Now, I know tomorrow night's a big night if you're a political junkie like me. I'm going to get my popcorn and watch the show. Some of y'all want it to be over with, and I'm like, man, we got 50 states this year that we get to have CNN night. I know it's weird. I'm sorry. And and this year is like the circus came to town. So it's like, I mean, man, what a show. I mean, even crazy people sound smart to some of these guys. But anyhow... We won't go there. <laughs> and I don't want to get into politics too much, and I know I'm crossing some new kind of, and I'm, believe me, I've never ever one time, and I'm not going to start today, ever tried to persuade you to think like me when it comes to politics, ever. I think that's against the Baptist principle of, of separation of church and state. Now, I'll tell you what I think is right and wrong as far as uh, policies but it's trying to persuade you how to vote. I leave that to the conscience of each man's heart, okay? Uh, but let's say, and I know this is dangerous ground because there are many of you here who might not like this, but you just... Let's say President Obama was coming to Burlington. Now some of you say, you better not, you know. <laughs> and some of you would say, yes! You know, I, I get that. We've got different people in this congregation. I understand that. But let's say... He was come to Burlington. Even those of you who don't think much of President Obama would want to be there. Because I don't know about you, I've only one time in my life witnessed a president face to face. In Henderson, Kentucky, when I was nine years old, Jimmy Carter came to Henderson. Jimmy Carter is regarded by many people as one of the worst economic presidents we've ever had in the history of our country, but we showed up bigger than the Christmas parade for Jimmy Carter. We were 20 people deep in Henderson just to get this little glimpse of Jimmy Carter standing up in the back of a, or sticking up through the sunroof of a a limousine, waving his hand. You know, everybody want to see Now, let's pretend he's coming to Burlington. Let's say he decides, I need a place to throw a town hall meeting just to talk to folks. And he said, Burlington Baptist makes the most sense to me. I got a feeling that y'all would probably say yes if he said that. And then let's say he said, I tell you what I'd like to do. I hear y'all got great cooks at Burlington. Let's uh, have a, a meal together after that. Okay? Now, even if you can't stand President Obama... You're going to want this place to look good, and you're going to want to put your best foot forward. And a couple weeks before we get here, we start thinking, I wonder what they want to eat. And somebody hears that he loves Italian food. And so somebody says, we're going to call Buca. We're going to have them cater. And then somebody says, yeah, but Michelle, she likes uh, uh, Mexican food. And somebody says, okay, all right, where are we uh, well, Let's get Chewy's. We like Chewy's. So we'll get some Chewy's catered in his room." And somebody said, you know, but the girls, they like chocolate. And so we're going to order the fanciest chocolate we can, and we're going to have it about, about a week before we start cleaning this place. And I mean, people are scrubbing the ceiling. We're cleaning the chandeliers, making sure every, we're doing everything we can to make this spotless. But the person who's in the kitchen notices in a freezer while they're cleaning out the freezer. And I know there's probably never any junk in the freezer here at Burlington, but in most Baptist churches I've been in, there's lots of junk. But they notice there's some old frozen pizzas. They start thinking, hey, the president likes Italian. (laughs) And then after that, they say that they're digging through the the more in the freezer there, and they see this frost covered bag of frozen burritos. It's a God thing. And then they're cleaning out their cabinet. There's candy left over, candy on the corner twenty. This is amazing. No church anywhere would do that regardless of how much disdain they have. And yet that's what we do to God all the time. Here's my leftovers. Here's what you can have. Verse 9. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Listen to the next verse. He says, and now you ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Will he lift these taxes? Will he make our life a little easier? Why are you doing this to me? Since this has come from your hands, will he show you any favor now? In verse 10, listen to what he says. I wish one of you would just shut the doors. I wish you'd just close this place. I'd rather you not even show up and worship than bring the garbage that you bring to me. Wow. What if God did that to us when we give him routine nothing less than our best worship? We would have far fewer churches in the Kentucky Baptist Convention, I can assure you. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord, and I will accept no offering from your hands And you also say to God, look, what a nuisance. It's just work for us to have to show up. It's my only day off. It's my time for me. It is my, what a nuisance to have to do this. Like you're doing God a favor showing up. He's a great God. He'll be God whether we show up or not, by the way. Listen to what he says. Keep going forward if you would. And you scorn it. You bring stolen, lame, sick animals. You bring three-legged blind sheep like you're doing something great for the Lord. You bring him this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hand? says God? Verse 14, I love this. uh, uh, Verse 14, he says, The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. If that's, not the, if that's the best you got, that's the best you got. But most of us have better. And I love God. He's so confident in himself. He says, I'm a great king. I'm a great God. And my name will be feared among the nations. If you're new, if you're new to church, you may be thinking, why does God want people's stuff? What's God's big deal? God has never wanted our stuff. He wants our love. They did this half-hearted sacrifice, and that showed their love. It revealed that they love their stuff more than God. We're going to go through just a couple of more verses, and we'll stop and pick up next week. Therefore, this decree is for you priests. Listen to what he says. If you don't listen, if you don't take it to heart, to honor my name, says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, he says, I've already begun to curse them because you're not taking it to heart. Whew. What lessons do we have today? And we're going to get these quick. If you're a note taker, keep up. We've got five minutes max. Three minutes max. It doesn't matter if you go through the motions if you don't have love for God. You can come to church, you can give your tithe, you can make your sacrifices, whatever, but religion without love of God is empty and worthless. God is not going to ask you on judgment day how many rituals did you do He's going to ask you, do you love me? And guys, here's a lesson you need to know. It is possible to fool yourself about your relationship with God, but God can spot a phony. You can talk yourself into saying, I'm pretty good. Yeah, me and the big guy, we're pretty good. God can spot a phony. He knows who you really are. They had to ask themselves, how have we done that? God's looking into your heart and He's asking you the same thing. Well, here's, do you love me? Half hearted devotion, guys, is repulsive to God. God is not impressed by our dragging ourselves into His presence, going through the motions. Hurry up and get this over with, preacher. We still got communion. And you know that takes seven or eight minutes. Type of worship. He wants our best, He wants our love not just on Sundays. And we're going to see that through the book of Malachi. He moves from what we do together to what we do in our everyday life. What we do here is only a small part of our worship. Now guys, one question before I give you the last couple things. When did the decision to bring sick and lame animals happen? On Sunday? Or back on the farm? Our worship of God starts when we're all by ourselves just us and our creator A.W. Tozer said if you fail to worship God seven days a week you will not worship him one day a week another takeaway is the blessings people enjoy can be taken away if they take the place of God I do not believe every time that hardship strikes it's because of our misplaced devotion but we live in a culture that tells you that's never the case I mean, honestly, you live like a fool and you pay the price and you come here, somebody say, oh, well, it's not God. God is the one who allows all things. He set this universe up. Sometimes it is, and sometimes we need to ask ourselves, is God allowing this hardship to come to me so that I can know him? And if you think that never happens, you listen to real powerful testimonies. Somebody will say, I was running far from God and he drove me to my knees so I would get on my knees. Or he laid me on my back so that I would look up. You ever heard testimonies like that? You see, God's not interested in your comfort while you're here. He's interested in your devotion to him. That's what God wants. If your material possession steals his glory, if your success steals his glory, if your relationship steals his glory, God may say, I will curse your blessing if that's what it takes to get you to love me. What can we do with this message? First of all, you can check your heart. Here's three questions for you. Number one, do you often feel like you're doing enough for God? I'm giving God enough. Check your heart. The one who gave his all. Do you often feel slighted by God? God, how come you're letting me go through this? You're going to ask that of the one who let his son die so that you could be forgiven? Question three Do you look for the least you can do to make God happy? Hey, man, I got I to show up at church this week because if I don't, then God might be mad at me and not make it work. I, I, I got to put my nickels in because I don't want to be poor, you know? Or do you look, say, were the whole realm of nature mine? that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, that demands my life, my soul, my all. Some of us have to repent of religious insincerity and return to our first love. (laughs) It's not as hard as you might think. You have to start where the people of Israel had to start. Listen to God's question. Haven't I loved you? See, you want to repent, all you got to do is start thinking about how God's loved you. God proved his love toward you while you were sinners. Christ died for you. And then finally, I hope you'll do this today. You'll realize that God has chosen you and you'll respond to his love. You might say, well, what if God didn't choose me? He did. You know how I know he did? Because the Bible says every one of you who are willing to call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. So if, if you've got that nudging in your heart to call on the name of the Lord, you, can, you, you're the, you are chosen. So respond to that choosing of God and respond with gratitude. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would help us to be more and more in love with you. Father, help us to bring our best to you. Lord, as we listen to these words of the Old Testament, they seem so hard. God, they're really impossible without Jesus doing a work in our heart. So we thank you, Jesus, that you died for us to give us life. God, I pray that even now as we remember what you did for us, you will move in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.